This episode of the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast is sponsored by Katrina Burke Coaching, helping caring professionals create a life of balance and flow. Katrina has a range of programs available for teachers and school leaders. So for more information, go to katrinaburkecoaching.com.au. This is the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast, a weekly show to help you prioritize your health, happiness and well-being so that you can thrive in the classroom and in life. I'm your host, Ellen Ronalds-Keen. Enjoy the podcast. My guest today is Andrew McCormack, who is a senior associate and accredited family law specialist from Best Wilson Buckley Family Law. Um, They have offices in Toowoomba, Brisbane and Ipswich here in Queensland. Now, Andrew is actually a friend of mine that I met from yoga and it turned out that as as we got chatting, we would often um, talk about some of the legal issues that come up in schools and things that teachers need to know about. you know, from there, we decided to actually make it a podcast episode because I really realized that there were things, even if after having worked in schools, you know, over probably five or six years by the time I met Andrew, um, there were things that I still didn't know or that I was curious about. And so we decided to record a podcast episode about it. So Andrew um, very kindly uh, gave up an hour of his time to talk about legal considerations for teachers. So Thing, we talked about things like mandatory reporting obligations and, um, the you know, the way sometimes protocols differ between schools. We talk about why it's really important to ask if you're not sure about the protocols and, you know, the fact that there's no stupid questions. You're better off asking than not. But we also cover some things that I think are really important around legal self-care, really, the ways teachers can protect themselves. We talk about, you know, the protecting ourselves online and things like defamation and also the high rates of burnout between um, the teaching profession. Obviously, that's what we talk about, but there's also really high rates of burnout in the legal profession as well. Andrew, although he is not a teacher and has never been a teacher, he gets it. Um, he understands the things like inflexible deadlines and, and the highly, sometimes highly emotional and complex human situations that arise. So um, I hope you enjoy this longer episode today. Uh, Andrew has also um, kindly offered some, um, Bess Wilson Buckley sometimes does workshops with schools and he's offered the slides for for one of those um, presentations um, for anyone who would like a copy of that as a download. So I'm going to put a link to that in uh, the show notes on the website, selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash podcast. And also if you're already on my newsletter list, uh, I will email them out when I email the um, update about this episode this week. All right. Enjoy this episode about legal considerations for teachers. Hello, Andrew. Hello, Ellen. How are you? I'm really well, thanks. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy you're here too. Um, Can you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, Because you're not a teacher, nor have you ever been a teacher as far as I know. So you are one of the very small number of guests on this show that has not been a teacher in a previous profession. 
so tell us about you. Tell us what you're going to tell us today. All right. Well, I'm a solicitor in private practice and I'm based in Toowoomba in Queensland and I am an accredited specialist in family law. So I have uh, qualifications that are recognised by uh, law societies around Australia where I've done um, extra work and study to be able to have a little squiggle behind my name <laughs> and, and to call myself um, an accredited specialist. So what I basically do is all day, every day handle um, matters relating to um, people getting um, people separating from their um, partners, people having disputes about their children. Um, so that sort of, uh, those sorts of issues, um, domestic violence and things like that. So basically the, a broad sort of compass in terms of anything that's family and relationship law is what I have practised in for the last 15 years. Mm, and that's really very relevant to some of what we're going to talk about today because I know that Family law obviously um, comes into place with schools frequently because there's custody agreements. There are all sorts of things that um, schools need to be aware of when there are family law issues with their students. But of course, also people who work in schools also have families and sometimes need some help from family law specialists as well, don't they? Exactly. And you can have situations where not only will you in your classroom have children who are from blended or separated families, but... Um, People also have um, their own families and their own problems that can arise from time to time. And what um, we try and do um, in the practice that I'm at, which is Best Wilson Buckley Family Law, we try and keep as much as we can people away from court by using other alternative methods, um, including mediation, arbitration and collaborative law, to try and keep people out of uh, the court system, which unfortunately um, is quite a, a slow, stressful, time-consuming and cumbersome process for a lot yeah. of people. And a lot of what um, I've done over the years um, has included uh, acting for not only teachers themselves in their personal capacity, but also um, acting for um, schools, generally private schools, who um, will from time to time get issues relating to their students um, and need advice about, well, what are our obligations as a school or my obligations as a teacher um, when these type of issues arise? Yeah, and that's something we are, you know, I, I would like to touch on. We are going to also talk about, you know, legal self-care for teachers because obviously the, the purpose of this podcast is is not so much to focus on the, the classroom and the curriculum and things, but the fact that you know, you're a person before you are a teacher and we should look after our own uh, personal situation, I believe, before we look after our professional situation because one begets the other. Um, but let's just touch on that. Can you give us some examples of um, times where you might be called into a school? Some Obviously, um, it sounds like it's more likely to happen with, with private schools perhaps. Why is that? Why would it be more likely that you would work with, with private schools? Is it because the state system has their own legal teams? It is. Um, the in Particularly, say, in Queensland and also in, in most states, um, the Department of Education has their own um, legal team. Um, in Queensland, the Department of Education and Training has a, a pretty strong legal team and they actually, at one point in time, did employ their own family law solicitor who used to deal with all of those types of issues. Um, a lot of the time, 
I have come into circumstances where you have private schools um, who don't generally have that backup because, you know, private schools... They're independent. ...are independent. They don't have um, the... Um, uh, bureaucracy behind them that say um, state schools do and unfortunately they can in some circumstances where this is all foreign to them um, need some assistance so um, there's a bit a number of different um, independent um, and church-based schools that I've done work for um, in the past and um, what we try and focus on there is um, putting protocols in place for schools so that when these issues do come up, um, they can um, look at the various protocols and work out what to do. And if they then can't, um, if they then find themselves in a situation where um, they need some assistance, they can um, call upon uh, someone to assist them. Um, with, uh, say, Education Queensland, um, they have um, quite a number of resources on um, your internal intranet site that you can access um, and they also have the ability to contact uh, the legal team um, in Brisbane who um, can uh, assist with some of these um, issues, particularly um, issues relating to parenting arrangements, um, domestic violence issues. And yeah. it's not uncommon that you'll have circumstances where um, children uh, might be the subject of um, parenting orders made by, uh, by a court but the school doesn't know about them. And then yeah. all of a sudden someone turns up to school saying, um, hi, I'm mum, dad or whoever, and I want to do this, this and this. And a school has really no idea about, well, hang on a second, we don't know anything about court orders. We don't know about um, what's going on here. So what we try and do um, when we're um, giving advice to schools, which um, is only a very small part of what I do. Um, we try and make sure that they are equipped to deal with those issues. A lot of what um, I'll sometimes do too is that I'll have parents who um, might have been contacted um, by the school about um, some issue and they'll say, are there any parenting orders or are there parenting plans or what are the arrangements for the children um, so that they can have those recorded properly in their files mm. so that if something does go um, wrong or that they need um, to make sure that they're, say, providing, um, you know, reports to uh, more than one parent or to different addresses, they know what's going on. And it's really important for um, teachers to know what... Um, the circumstances are for their students because if a teacher in a classroom doesn't know what's going on well you're the first line of um uh well the, the first port of call generally and i mean i, I so agree with you and it, it can be tricky because i know that sometimes there are situations where information is you know classified or whatever and it's only for example the principal or, or a head of curriculum or somebody that might be privy to that information but um as you say, then it can be tricky when incidents happen in the classroom and the classroom teacher wasn't actually aware of perhaps the background that's going on with that child. But, I mean, most schools, I think, have protocols where the school knows what's going on with the family to keep relevant staff informed. But as you say, sometimes the school has no idea that there's a family law issue happening in the background for, for those particular students or that particular family. 
Yeah. And one of the issues that you'll also find too as a classroom teacher is that you might see that a, a student isn't performing how they previously have. They might be withdrawn and, um, you know, not wanting to participate. And that may be as a result of something that's going on at home that mm. a teacher doesn't know about. Um, and it might well be a situation where you um, need to know what's going on because if a student was to, say, make a disclosure to you about something that happened, as a classroom teacher, you have mandatory reporting obligations. Mm. And if um, you need to make a report um, to um, the relevant child welfare authorities, um, you need to really be aware of not only what your mandatory reporting obligations are, but also that you need to look out for some of these things. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think in a lot of schools, there's a you know, a chain of command. If you're a first-year teacher listening to this, it, it, it's unlikely that it would be you personally to make that report. You would refer it to, you know, whoever your line manager is or your head of department or your principal. And it would be the principal's responsibility usually to then go and contact the the relevant, you know, the relevant um, child protection agencies and things. Um, so if you are listening and you're a teacher, you, usually there will be somebody else in the school that you would go to immediately to report that and then especially if you're not sure always ask because you're much better off uh, speaking to you know your principal or your line manager at work and saying look I'm concerned about this child for these reasons let's check into it uh, than to not say something and wish you had. Yeah because each each different type of school have different protocols Absolutely. and one of the things that you might need to think about finding out if you haven't been told is, well, what is the protocol for, for some of this um, mm. reporting and how do I go about doing it? Um, because there may well be um, incident forms that you need to uh, fill out and then it's uh, a situation where your uh, line manager or principal is the person who needs to be doing the reporting depending on what your protocol is. Yeah, absolutely. And so if you're not sure, ask. That would be my, you know... That would be my advice to teachers. It, it's a really important area and it's, it can be um, one of those things that when, it, and I say when, we hope that it's an if, but most teachers in who have a, a career of many years are, are likely to come across some sort of issue where they need to report. I know I've had several in my career. Um, and it, if you're not sure what the protocols are, uh, and especially if you're listening to this now and thinking, I have no idea, um, but nothing's come up on the radar so I won't worry about it, I'd go and ask straight away because then you know and in the heat of the moment you won't have to be finding out that information as well. Absolutely. So one of the things that your listeners are probably wanting to know is, well, what actually is family law and, yeah. and how does it work? Um Family law is a federal jurisdiction in Australia, so the Family Law Act is a Commonwealth Act, so it's an act of the Commonwealth Parliament, and it applies in all states and territories. That differs um, from, say, things like domestic violence legislation, which is all state-based. So mm. in different states, you'll have different types of uh, domestic violence legislation. In fact, in other states, um, they call domestic violence orders by different names. In Queensland, we call them DVOs or domestic violence orders. In New South Wales, they call them um, 
apprehended violence orders or AVOs. In uh, Victoria, they call them intervention orders. In Western Australia, they call them restraining orders. So, Wow. I had not realised that they were all equivalent terms. Yeah, they're all basically the same thing. And the aim of, say, a, um, a domestic violence order is to ensure that someone doesn't commit domestic violence against a person or um, people who might be named under the order, which is generally children or mm. relatives. Mm. Um, and if there are domestic violence issues, then schools um, may need to know about that because a domestic violence order can prohibit a person from attending at a school or um, going within a certain number of metres of a child or um, those types of circumstances. So um, if, there, if there are domestic violence issues, um, the schools need to know about those things. So we always advise our clients to make sure that both classroom teachers and the school administration are aware of that because if you get a situation where someone comes to the school and they're not supposed to be there, then obviously the school needs to act appropriately in relation to, uh, um, to the, the, situation. Mm. the situation and to um, ensure the safety not only of um, the children but also the staff and the other students at the school. Absolutely. There's a duty of care. Absolutely. So when we look at um, family law, we look at things like um, division of um, relationship property, um, we look at parenting disputes, so where children live and when they spend time um, with um, one of their parents. Mm-hmm. Um, we look at things like paternity, so who who is a parent. Um, we look at things like surrogacy in terms of people wanting to have children. Um, we look at uh, divorce, which is actually the, the legal way of ending a marriage. Um, and we also look, as I said, at uh, domestic violence and family violence issues. Um, the terms that we sometimes use or you hear used um, can change a lot. I mean, I've been doing this for the better part of 15 years and there's been three changes of terminology since I started. Wow. So a lot of times you'll hear people talk about um, custody or access or visitation they're terms that we don't use in Australia um, and haven't. We've never used the term visitation. Oh, really? that's, yeah, that's a that's an American um, term that um, probably because people watch too much uh, bad American TV, <laughs> uh, they've picked up. So Yeah, well, what, I didn't know that that was not an Australian term. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, so generally speaking, you used to many years ago talk about custody and access um, or guardianship and things like that. Since... Uh, 2006, the terms that we use, we talk about um, where where children live. So we have what we call live with orders. And then we talk about the time that um, children spend with a parent. So they're called time orders. Mm. Um, and we also talk about communication. So communication can be by phone, it can be by Skype, FaceTime, anything like that. Mm. So one of the things that um, a court can do or parents themselves when they're negotiating um, pairing arrangements is they work out, well, where are the children going to live and what time are they going to spend with the other parent? Um, and we talk about uh, other issues like what we call parental responsibility. Um, and that's a really interesting 
um, concept because you'll have and you may well hear people talking about my rights as a parent. Well, unfortunately, parents don't actually have rights. Um, they actually sometimes, have sometimes, fortunately, depending on the situation. Exactly. Um, sometimes um, you'll, you'll hear that, but it really is a situation that uh, parents have parental responsibilities, and it's actually the children who have all of the rights. So under the Family Law Act, we talk about um, the rights of a child to know both of their parents, to spend meaningful time with their parents, and to have their parents play a meaningful part in their day-to-day lives. Um, parents have responsibilities to ensure that their children are kept safe from the risk um, or actual abuse, neglect or harm. Um, and they also, where possible, have to make joint decisions about uh, what they call long-term major issues. So that is where children live and who they live with, um, where they go to school, what medical treatment they might need, um, if there are cultural issues, um, so following certain cultures, whether it be um, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander um, practices or um, ethnic um, cultural practices, um, or um, anything else that might make it difficult for um, the children to spend time um, with one or both of their parents. So those sorts of decisions um, are supposed to be made jointly um, by uh, parents. More than likely, um, one parent makes um, a lot of the decisions uh, because that's generally what happens during uh, a relationship or a marriage. Um, and then we have issues when people start have to making have to make joint decisions. Um, under two separate in two separate households under two sets of roofs with two sets of living expenses and that's when unfortunately things can become a little unhinged mm. so in terms of um that's the family law side of things um in terms of um how, i suppose how that affects teachers obviously we we need to be aware of that and and you know some of i've done quite a number of trainings just through my employment with Education Queensland and, um, you know, the Code of Conduct is fairly clear about uh, reporting obligations and that sort of thing. Um, but in terms of legal obligations for te- or legal issues that teachers need to be aware of uh, for themselves, um, because obviously we've been talking about uh, what we should be aware of in terms of our professional self-care for professional um, duty of care for the students in our, in our care, as teachers, what do we need? What would you say, Andrew, that we need to be aware of, just for our own personal and professional uh, care? I suppose, in the legal sense. Well, I think there's a number of things, Ellen, that um, teachers need to think about. Firstly, um, one issue that I have seen in my practice is um, teachers becoming involved in um, court proceedings now. That might be because they have um, been subpoenaed to um, provide documents or to give evidence. Can you explain what uh, that means? Yeah, so a subpoena is a, a legal um, order made by a court um, addressed to either a person 
So, for instance, if you were teaching um, and you were, you received a subpoena, um, that would require you to either provide documents or to come to court and give evidence. Okay, sometimes subpoenas are issued to uh, the department or to the school to obtain things such as um, reports or attendance uh, information. So yeah. trying trying to work out whether a child has been absent for for large periods of time. Yeah. Um, so the main thing is that if if you as a teacher receive a document like a subpoena and it's served on you personally, you need to make um, your principal aware of that because more than likely the protocols that um, either the school or the department have come into effect there. And some of those documents um, may um, need to be provided to the school or to the department who then provide that information to the court. Mm. And sometimes um, the department will uh, decide that they want to claim privilege to those documents. So they might want to ensure that there's no identifying information, say, for instance, about where someone lives or if there was information about um, where... Um, where a teacher might live or other students, they'll want to make sure that their um, their obligations to protect other people's um, privacy um, are being complied with. Mm. That's important, um, yeah. It is. And um, there are occasions where, as a teacher, you might be asked to um, provide a report about how students are doing, um, which is... You know, which can be great for um, for a party who is trying to get that information. But what you might not know as a teacher is that if um, you provide that report, at a later point in time, you might be um, called upon to give evidence or to be cross-examined about what's in a report you've given. So if you've seen, you know, some bad US TV where they put someone um, in the in the witness box and they start, you know, pacing around the courtroom and asking questions, that's what I'm talking about in terms of cross-examination. Yeah. Thankfully, thankfully we, don't, we don't do that type of theatrics in Australia, but um, you're still going to be uh, being asked some pretty pointy questions and it can get, um, it can get rather uncomfortable. Um, so as a teacher, if you don't feel comfortable in providing um, that type of information, then um, that's a matter for you and you need to discuss that with um, a principal um, or, the, or the department because there may not be an obligation for you to provide some of that information mm. and you yourself um, as a teacher don't need to be caught up in the stress and uh, games of someone else's family law matter um, because that then affects your ability to do your job sometimes. And, Absolutely. You know, if you're yeah. if you're if you're stressed about having to go to court and give evidence, well, I mean, I've I've been a solicitor and I've I've got a law degree and I've seen a lot of giving evidence and I've had to give evidence myself and I tell you what, it's not a fun um, thing to to do. No. Yeah. And see, someone, even I I, I don't um, you know, I haven't had a thankfully never been on the wrong side of the law. But I have enough understanding to know that sometimes, um, for example, legal letters can be written in such a manner that sounds like it's compulsory, but you don't actually have to comply. It's, you know, written in in a legalistic way that, um, you know, perhaps would make a teacher think, well, I have to go to court and give evidence for this. But actually, as you're just saying, is maybe you actually might not have to. So check first because... That's 
that's exactly right. And look, there are you know members of uh, my profession who can, who write very eloquently and can write very pointedly at times. So it's best to check because mm. you don't you don't want a situation where you're feeling um, stressed um, or it affects your uh, your employment. Because they're also then as because there might be no obligation for you to do that. The last thing you want to do is breach a code of conduct, which says, well, um, unless uh, the protocol that the department has or the school has is followed, then we're not under obligation to do certain things. Mm. Uh, and on that note, that would be another place I think um, to go would be uh, your teachers' union. If you are a member of your teachers' union, they will have um, you know. The Queensland Teachers Union has an assist desk. I'm not sure what it's called in the other uh, states and territories, but you would be able to ring up and ask somebody some of those questions, especially if you've asked somebody at school or if you're in a private school perhaps where they don't have the same, um, you know, they don't have the whole department behind them. They're just a bit more independent. You can ring up the the union usually or write them a letter and, and um, or an email and ask for some clarification around that too and get some advice there around what, what your obligations are and, and where the line is between, as you say, uh, protecting your own professional and personal interests in terms of keeping yourself well and maintaining your ability to do the job and what your legal obligations are towards whatever that case might be. Exactly. And look, most of the unions, be they um, the Queensland Teachers Union or some of the independent teachers unions, they generally have a legal service that yeah. you can um, make inquiries with and they can assist you if for some reason um, you can't get assistance elsewhere. So if you're not a member of your union, I would seriously suggest looking into that because if you ever have a, a legal issue and you need some some independent advice, that's that's one of the, the best reasons to be a member of the union, I reckon. Um, all right, so let's shift gears a little bit. Um, one Something that I know comes up a lot these days uh, for, for teachers is protecting themselves online. And I know, off, you know, just before we started recording, you and I were talking about defamation um, as one of the things we need to be aware of. Um, can you talk to us about what teachers need to know legally in terms of protecting themselves and their students online? Well, one of the things, um, Ellen, that we're obviously seeing a lot more of now is the use of social media and things like that. Um, one one issue that I've seen of recent times just from news coverage is um, teachers um, not being aware that uh, there are certain protocols that uh, the department or schools might have about contacting students via social media being... Uh, friends with them on social media um, and um, you need to be very careful about that. The uh, Queensland Department of Education has um, a very strict code of conduct um, which provides that um, if you uh, are at a school you can't be friends in inverted commas in air quotes. Um, <laughs> Facebook with, friends or whatever. <laughs> Facebook friends um, with um students that uh, are at your school. Or at um, any school, I believe, in, the, in go to any department school. And that, I think that is right. I haven't seen the um, latest version of the protocol, but mm. it's a situation where you have to be very careful about making sure that you, as a teacher, protect yourself. 
And obviously, um, the department has a view that, well, look, we don't want um, to be in a position where you might inadvertently um, be infringing the code of conduct. So that's the reason why they have pretty much blanket rules. Yeah. Um, one of the other issues that we'll, you may sometimes see is um, it's all well and good for people to want to vent about something that might happen. But if you, for instance, are venting online about a colleague, um, that may well um, be a breach of the protocol. And also, um, it goes without saying that um, venting about students and or parents can get you into a large amount of trouble. Mm. And I know we're saying it goes without saying, but, but, but yet stories come up time and time and again of people doing it so I think it needs to be said I think probably most people listening will go well yeah of course of course I wouldn't you know put in my Facebook status how angry I am with such and such a parent or whatever but you just I don't know I think we just need the reminder because sometimes it is one of those things that happens and you're angry or upset and write something without thinking so I think it, the more reminders the better <laughs> exactly and you know it's a situation where sometimes you might do something in the spirit at the moment but unfortunately once you um, publish something like that um, that's out there and can remain out there forever, um, it can be pretty hard to uh, reel back from. Um, and particularly, too, um, there are um, defamation laws in each state and territory where if you say something that is considered defamatory, um, it's you who uh, have published that, so it's on your head. The department won't be backing you or anything like that. So if you were to be sued, um, that's your personal responsibility. It's not like you can claim um, some sort of indemnity from the department mm. uh, or from your school because yeah. most most schools will say, well, sorry, if you were doing something in an official capacity, well, then yes, um, we may protect you. But if you were doing something that's not sanctioned by the school um, and that um, is against a, a code of conduct um, or a policy, then sorry, guys, you're on your own. Yep. Yep. And fair enough too because, mm. you know, I think, uh, again, we say it goes without saying, but the whole online world is still fairly new territory in terms of um, our society adjusting to it. And um, I think, yeah, there's just some things that we need reminding of and, and some things especially are for the digital natives among us, the, you know, the younger generation, the millennials, dare I say, um, who've grown up with it may, may not even always be aware um, of the consequences and certainly as a high school teacher, you see that all the time with students posting things on, on Facebook and then being surprised that, that people know about it the next day. <laughs> um, but the other thing I, would, I was wondering there about is uh, what teachers can do or I suppose what, um, what teachers need to be aware of in terms of if they feel they're being defamed online by a student or a parent. Well, first thing um, is to if you can, um, take um, a, a screenshot of mm. whatever it might be um, and then immediately report that to your line manager or your principal because if um, it is a situation where a student is breaching a code of conduct at a school, then that is a matter for the principal um, or the school to, um, to follow up. administer and follow up. Um, you... Um, one of the things that obviously um, you want to ensure is that 
there are going to be times where you know people are going to um, do things that are not helpful, um, which can you know um, hurt you emotionally, or people may be uh, wanting to. Um, engage in some sort of victimization because oh we don't like this particular teacher so let's do let's run this campaign etc etc um obviously if that was to happen um the school and the department can take necessary steps to um discipline students and they can also um liaise with um the administration, say, of Facebook, Twitter, those types of um, entities to have um, infringing content, content taken down um, because it may reflect badly on um, the school, the department, um, as a result of students, not um, the teacher's conduct, but the student's conduct reflecting badly on um, the school. So... Um, it's really important um, to ensure that if you come across something like that, um, you do something about it early. In terms of your own social media presence, um, if you can, where possible, screw down your privacy settings um, as much as possible because there have been um, some instances in the United States where teachers have been dismissed because students found um, Facebook profiles with um photographs of people in let's say compromising positions yeah um that have then led to uh the teacher being um, terminated because they violated violated a code of conduct for a school or um, an education um, board um also too there may be um uh, issues in relation to your teacher registration that you have to show that you are a fit and proper person Absolutely. to be a teacher and to continue to have your teacher registration. So, um, unfortunately, um, a social media presence that may um, indicate that you are not a fit and proper person could affect your employment moving forward. Absolutely. And I think even when we're talking about before before you get employed, if you're at university right now um, and listening, if you're doing your you know teacher education, and university is frequently a time of lots of parties and um, not really caring too much about responsibilities. But I remember when I was at the end of university, um, a deputy principal that I, that I knew um, was, I hadn't, um, it wasn't at one of the schools I was working, but was telling me a, a very particular story about um, having a couple of graduate teacher options of who to employ and just really quick Googled the people and um, one of them had, because I was still at university, so they weren't really under any of the um, obligations, I suppose, yet around registration. They hadn't been registered yet, that sort of thing. Um, but their Facebook settings weren't private and, and this particular deputy principal just absolutely ruled them out straight away from what they saw on their Facebook. Um, and so once you're already employed, it's definitely important. But even, even before that, um, you know, that's just the story I always tell um, I was always telling my grade 12 students <laughs> because, you know, you might not be worried about losing the job you currently have, but it might prevent you getting the job that you really want down the track. Exactly right. And it can it can affect your career because you might have a, a first career as a teacher and then you may um, have another career. I know um, a couple of 
solicitors who have previously been teachers and then become solicitors, we have the same issues in needing to um, have what we call suitability criteria ticked yeah. off. So we have to be fit and proper uh, person, has to be a fit and proper person to hold a practising certificate. And unfortunately, um, there are um, issues that you may see um, sooner rather than later where um, the footprint you have in social media can not only come into your professional life in terms of getting your registration, but also as um, happened with the deputy principal you were talking about, you know, you'll still have um, people, law firms are usually considered fairly conservative places and, um, you know, it wouldn't be uncommon for people to be um, off Googling and Facebook stalking to um, see what people get up to to see whether they might actually be a fit for the culture yeah yeah exactly exactly um all right so you were just talking just there about that some of the similarities between uh your profession in terms of the the expectations i suppose of of um solicitors or lawyers and compared with teachers and the similar expectations around conduct um but there's also a big similarity in in the high rates of burnout and so i thought we might just just touch on that because I know that um, it's something I think in a lot of the helping professions and a lot of the professions where, um, you know, because there's a high rate of, of doctor burnout as well, a lot of the professions where the expectations are really high, dealing with lots of um, varied and quite emotional as well as intellectual, you know, there's kind of the double whammy of the, you know, really important intellectual work that has to happen alongside sometimes the really complex human interactions um, and it just makes burnout along you know alongside the really long hours just makes burnout more likely it does and unfortunately in the legal profession we have a can have a very high rate of burnout not only of burnout but also of just general mental health issues um, the New South Wales Law Society published a study a couple of years ago um, where it undertook research with uh, the Black Dog Institute and uh, Beyond Blue. And basically, one in three solicitors, be they a solicitor, barrister, whatever, are going to experience and suffer from um, depression, um, burnout, um, anxiety. And um, unfortunately, we have a culture um established, I think, over many centuries of um, solicitors uh, are usually people who like to help. Mm. That's why we do this job. Um, Sounds familiar. (laughs) Yep, exactly. And not only do we want to help, but in my line of work in doing family law, we unfortunately see people at their... At their worst. At their worst, at the really low parts of their life where, you know, things have just, their their life has just totally fallen apart. Um, And unfortunately, that does lead to, um, there are some people who can get really caught up in their clients' lives. Mm. Um, There are some who, um, unfortunately, for the system that we have, really like to be adversarial and that 
doesn't help um, when you're trying to resolve issues where there are, you know, people like, you know, small children mm. who are just, who are caught up in something that they don't really understand and they themselves are having issues um, and some of those issues will flow into your classroom. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that um, we do um, have a prevalence uh, for in the legal profession is to want to help absolutely everyone. We can sometimes work ridiculous hours. Um, we have to get, you know, court material done and when you've got a deadline, you have to meet those deadlines. Yeah, they're, they're not done. flexible deadlines. And, this, and, you know, it's similar with some of the deadlines in schools. They're not flexible deadlines. So sometimes you just got to stay up late, you know. You do. And unfortunately, particularly for um, junior practitioners, junior lawyers, probably similar with junior teachers, mm. You want to do a good job. You want to impress. You want to climb the corporate ladder. You want to um, do those things that um, you've, you know, wanted to do and will, you know, be the pinnacle of your career. But unfortunately, sometimes, um, particularly working in large um, commercial firms, um, you are one of a number of um, junior people. And unfortunately, um, you can um, get on your hamster wheel and uh, not get off it for a very long time. Yeah, and I think the other thing, I'm sure it's the same with junior solicitors and junior lawyers. Certainly I know that with with early career teachers that it is part of that wanting to impress. Um, There's certainly a sense of uh, I don't want to ask for help because I don't want to be seen as not coping or I don't want to ask this question that might be a stupid question. You know, I don't want to ask if a student discloses something to me, what do I do? Because I feel like I probably should know that already. Um, but I don't. But I don't want to let people know that I don't know because that's somehow going to reflect poorly on me. So I won't say anything. And that's where sometimes also people kind of dig themselves into a, a hole because they, um, you know, in, in the best case scenario, maybe they just fuddle along and they could have got help with something that they didn't ask for because of their pride but in the worst case scenario perhaps they don't dis- they don't uh, report something that should have been reported and it, it can affect or it can be the end of their career in, it could in be. the worst case scenario so i think there's that sense of of not wanting to of wanting to impress but equally not wanting to uh, almost be junior not not wanting to admit that you're still learning uh, mm-hmm. and one of the most important things that I speak with first-year teachers about is to actually milk it for all it's worth. If you're a first-year or a second-year, people expect you not to know everything because you've just got here. So milk that for all it's worth because you're allowed to ask the silly questions. Uh, When you've been in the job for 10 years and and maybe there's something like that that you don't, I mean, still ask. If you've been there for 10 years and you're still not sure, ask. But it's much harder to ask. So if you're an earlier career, ask the silly questions you know, ask for help as much as you can because people totally accept it and expect it. And if you don't, sometimes you're just making life harder for yourself than it than it needs to and, be. Absolutely. And look, it's a situation where, um, particularly for for junior teachers, junior solicitors, the older or more experienced teachers or solicitors know that um, there are things that you don't know, 
And if you don't ask those questions, um, one, you'll never know the answer, and two, you'll be second-guessing yourself and causing more issues um, for yourself um, if you don't ask. Um, I have, uh, uh, I've had over the years um, trained a number of um, graduates um, that come in straight from university and are still, uh, still doing their professional training. And, you know, I always have said there is no such thing as a stupid question when you come in and ask me something that you don't know because I've had the benefit of being here for how many of the years and I probably asked those questions when I was at your stage. Absolutely. So, so you should be asking those questions. You should be um, wanting to, you know, wanting to know this information because if you don't know the questions to ask or you don't know um, the answers, you need to you need to find that information out. You need to speak to someone, um, and you really need to just reassure yourself that okay, I'm not here doing this by myself. There is a whole structure and uh, framework around me to help me. Exactly right. That's exactly right. You're not you're not on your own, um, and even if perhaps you're the people that you're immediately working with you don't feel that you can ask those questions perhaps it's time to look further afield you know ask a a mentor from a previous uh school or law firm or something or ask your union you know that even if you feel like perhaps the particular person that you report to at school isn't someone that you can talk to there will be somebody around that you can talk to who will be able to at least point you in the right direction to get the right answers um all right, well, just as we wrap up, Andrew, I always ask this question, what does well-being mean to you? Oh, look, it means um, quite a bit. Um, I have had um, my share of uh, stressful times. I've certainly had, certainly suffered from burnout. Um, and to me, well-being means not only prioritising my ability um, to function, but those people around me. Um, and for me, it is a, a situation that I need to be at my um, best to ensure that I'm providing clients um, with the best possible advice. I'm, uh, I need to make sure that I'm doing my job when I'm uh, in court. Um, and for me, um, I sometimes have a bit of trouble with this because I do like to, you know, burn the midnight oil and I've got all these bad habits from when I was, um, when I lived at um, college, um, which I still haven't grown out of, you know, 20 plus years later. <laughs> and, you know, I can, um, you know, I can sometimes let um, uh, my wellness wane because I'm just, making sure I'm getting my job done. But then sometimes I realise, well, hang on a second, if I'm, you know, doing uh, doing too much or I'm not um, looking after myself, then I really can't do my job properly. That's it. Um, it's diminishing returns. It is. And, you know, um, it means that, you know, when I was young and six foot tall and bulletproof, I could, you know, work until, you know, stupid o'clock each night and go home and have minimal sleep, you, you can't keep doing that. No. Um, and I've learned that the hard way. That, yeah. 
and it is a hard lesson to learn. Um, and, you know, I always say you're a person first and a teacher second. Well, and in your case, you're a person first and a solicitor second. You know, the, the, you can't continue being a solicitor. You can't continue being a teacher if you as a person are not, not okay. Exactly, exactly. And uh, unfortunately, there's been uh, a stereotype or an astigmatism um, attached to people who um, aren't coping in the legal profession or um, have had mental health issues um, that they don't want to put their hand up because they don't want people to think they're weak or whatever. I mean, that's just, we, we have um, far better uh, better systems in place now um, that um, pick these things up and we have um, uh, employee assistance programs provided by sometimes it's your employer, but also um, in our case, the Queensland Law Society. So the, the equivalent of um, the teachers union for, for teachers um, who provide us with education, training and development. Um, they have an employee assistance program called Law Care. Um, where you are able to access um, free um, sessions with a psychologist. Um, they have other wellness um, um, training and um, resources that you can access. Um, and it's one of these things, you know, there are probably some people who still have this, um, you know, stigma attached to, um, you know, mental, either mental illness or even just... Um, um, conditions such as anxiety and depression um, that are, you know, these people are, you know, they're not functioning well, so, um, you know, they're obviously not good at what they do. I can tell you now um, some of the best uh, jurists, judges, solicitors, barristers, they all have these types of issues and... Because they're all human. We're all... They are, We're all human and... We're not robots. No, and people who think that they can uh, work in that robotic manner are going to very quickly come unstuck and they're going to um, have their health issues uh, impact on them very quickly. And by making sure that you look after your wellness, you take some time out, you do um, have some time for yourself, um, that's how you um, have that ability to be resilient Um, and resilience is a big thing that we talk about um, these days. Um, Some people um, over time their resilience wanes just simply because they it's as you said the law of diminishing returns Um, and some people need to take that time out and to get themselves back into a into a good position Um, but you know you need to have that time and it's the same thing um, for particularly for teachers you have huge demands on you given we have a situation where uh, you have um, large class numbers, there's um, not always access to teacher aides and um, other assistants. So a lot of the tasks, well, you're the one who's got to do it. It's your class. It's got to get done. Um, So there are parallels there between um, being a solicitor and and being a teacher in, in, in that aspect. But in terms of wellness, you, you need to take that time to um, unwind, to recharge your batteries and... Um, have you know, a life. Have a life, you know. Go go and play with your kids. 
um, go and you know go to the movies, go and do yoga, do you know something that is taking your mind off your absolute uh, focus of you know your career at times. And you know I've been I'm I'm guilty of you know doing things like that. I've you know had those issues in the past, and you know hopefully. Um, I'm learning from some of the mistakes. And that's one of the things about resilience is that people who um, are resilient, they do learn from their mistakes and go, hang on a second, that didn't work well last time that happened, so maybe I shouldn't be doing that again. Yeah. And the other thing I would add to that, my mum always used to say, learn from other people's mistakes. (laughs) You don't have to make them all yourself. (laughs) Absolutely. You'll make new mistakes. Yeah, and that's entirely it. Um, a lot of people will say to me, well, how, how do you do this day in, day out, dealing with everyone else's problems? And I say, well, there's a couple of things. Firstly, there's professional attachment, which you have to have as a teacher. And then you'll also have to have as, um, you know, you, you have to have that ability to just switch off, um, which, can be, which can be difficult. Um, but also, too, we see people at their lowest points, and sometimes it's a situation that um, we see it. We see someone at the lowest point. We see a mistake that they've made, and we learn from our clients' mistakes. Yeah. Um, we also can you know, say to clients when they're saying, "Oh, well, I'm thinking of doing this," we'll say, "Well, hang on a second. I've seen this happen before, and have you thought about, you know, this, this, and this?" And they'll go, "Oh, no, I hadn't thought about that." And so it is very much learning from not only your own mistakes but from other people's mistakes too. Mm, yeah. Well, just as we wrap up, is there any um, anything we haven't touched on that you feel would be really important for particularly early career teachers to set themselves up for a flourishing career and, you know, strong well-being and hopefully lots of legal happy times? I think one of the things that um, teachers have to think about is, look, you need to make your classroom not only safe for you, but safe for your students. And if that means having to get assistance um, because something um, is going wrong or a student's having an issue that might be related to um, a problem at home, then um, going and looking at those issues and getting assistance is going to help you be able to manage yourself and manage your classroom and manage the students that um, people put their faith and trust in um, for you to educate. Mm. Mm. Brilliant. Ask for help when you need it. That's the message, Absolutely. isn't it? Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you so much, Andrew. Pleasure, Alan. And I'm so glad that you did end up taking up yoga, otherwise we'd have never met. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast. If you've enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe in your chosen podcast player so you don't miss an episode. I'd love it also if you would leave a rating and review in iTunes and share it with your friends. This really helps the podcast reach more people and together we can spread the message of teacher wellbeing to create thriving school communities. Show notes for this episode can be found at selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash podcast. You can also find me at facebook.com forward slash self for teachers 
And on Instagram, my handle is at selfcareforteachers. So come along and follow me there. 